Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to Equitable's second quarter analyst call and webcast on Thursday, July 29, 2021. At this time, you are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session for analysts. Instructions will be provided at that time. It's now my pleasure to turn the call over to Richard Gill, Senior Director, Corporate Development and Investor Relations at Equitable. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, Olivia. Your hosts today are Andrew Moore, President and Chief Executive Officer, Chadwick Westlake, Chief Financial Officer, and Ron Tratch, Chief Risk Officer. For those on the phone lines only, we encourage you to log on to our webcast as well, as it includes our quarterly slide deck, including slide two, regarding forward-looking statements. It's now my pleasure to turn the call over to Andrew. Thanks, Richard, and good morning, everyone. Uh, Equal hit its stride in Q2 with strong growth across the bank. We're excited about the ongoing pace of digital innovation that fulfills our purpose of changing the way banking is done to enrich the lives of Canadians. Certainly, we believe there's more to do to ensure that our investors have a common understanding of the value creation embedded within our digital journey. In order to help with that understanding, we added more to our disclosures for EQ Bank to give you a better sense of the dramatic increases in platform usage and customer engagement. We're focused on creating more value for our customers and in turn, driving deeper relationships, which include more product customer and more transactions. On the asset side, our growth in Q2 was particularly strong and conventional and insured, led by alternative single family. This gives us added confidence in our ambitious guidance for the year, with positive implications for earnings growth beyond 2021. As you know, it's the growth of our conventional loan assets that really fuels earnings. Beyond these positive developments, our credit book is in great shape, and our initiative to lower cost of funds are gaining more momentum with CMHC's recent approval of our $2 billion legislative uh, covered bond program. Chadwick will have more to say about this, but at full throttle, this program could result in annual costs of fund savings of about $10 million. Our investments are made with the goal of superior long-term value creation and to deliver strong ROE of between 15 and 17% in the years ahead, which is consistent with what the bank has delivered to date this year. Today, I will discuss our outlook. Chadwick will provide insights into the bank's results, and Ron is present to address any questions you have about risk management, and particularly support our positive perspectives around our credit outlook. Before we get started, I'd like to give credit where it's due to our exceptional team of over 1,000 challengers who are keeping true to our purpose as we serve almost 300,000 Canadians. With pandemic restrictions easing, more members of our team are returning to the office. This is welcome news, as it is often easier to deliver elements of our product roadmap and enhance our customer experience when we're all together. We're moving ever closer to a post-pandemic world, and I can't wait to see what our larger team can do without the constraints we've experienced since March last year. Moving to our outlook, we're reaffirming the overall 2021 growth guidance we provided last quarter for both growth and efficiency. 
Naturally, our outlook invites comparisons to performance against our annual targets. As I mentioned at the outset, portfolio growth is strong. Assets are up 8% year over year, with loan principal up 6% in the personal bank and 14% in the commercial bank, both favoring wider spread conventional loans. It's worth noting that it was only in Q4 last year that we really regained confidence in the direction of the economy. After putting the brakes on loan growth, particularly in all single family, through much of last year, in what could now be called an overreaction to the pandemic, we had to restore our standing with the broker community. We got things rolling in January and with great support from our broker partners, delivered excellent growth in Q2 with even more momentum as we speak. Looking at loan production, which is one element of book growth, single-family alternatives generated record originations of $1.8 billion in Q2, three times Q2 2020 levels. As noted, production in the year-ago year period was constrained by our decision to slow capital deployment. So another way to gauge momentum is quarter-to-quarter -quarter production, which was 68% ahead of Q1. No matter the basis of comparison for single-family alternative, we are well on our way to achieving our growth target of 12 to 15 percent for all of 2021. Exiting the quarter, our loan commitment pipeline certainly supports our guidance and speaks well to the status of our deep broker relationships. We're intent on continuously improving our service and experience for brokers and borrowers as part of our challenger bank ethos. Thinking about our outlook, we know that the Bank of Canada expects housing activity to ease back from historical highs. We see logic in that call. However, we also note that low interest rates, a freer flow of passage for newcomers to Canada, and the widespread undersupply of single-family and multi-unit properties we fund through our commercial bank, a tailwind that will not diminish in the short run, and in some cases, for the foreseeable future. With more workers expected to return to their regular places of employment over the next few months. We expect that pandemic preferences that favored home purchasing activity in smaller towns and rural regions would dissipate. A revision to the norm will once again benefit real estate in Canada's large cities, where Equal was a very strong franchises and a constructive view of risk. Another growing contributor is our wealth accumulation business, comprised of reverse mortgage and cash surrender value lines of credit. We set very ambitious goals for both ends of these portfolios, and again, through Q2, the teams delivered. Our reverse mortgage book grew 273% year over year. Recall our full year growth target for 2021 is growth of 200% plus. Our team has done a great job building distribution and market share by working with our broker partners. Going forward, we will complement those activities with direct client engagement. We believe low interest rates, high house prices, and the opportunity to fund retirement lifestyle choices through home equity are proving to be strong catalysts for reverse mortgages, as is the trend of aging in place. We aim to continue to expand our market share with product innovations, targeted marketing, and broader distribution to tackle this underserved market. CSV loans grew 180% year over year, Full-year guidance is 150% plus. The bank has done quite a bit of work to develop distribution for our products, and these results demonstrate it. We now have lending arrangements with eight insurance companies, including Sun Life and Manulife, who recently joined us, and Desjardins Insurance, which came on board in July. 
It takes time and effort to build trust with these companies, and we're working hard to repay that trust. As we scale up, wealth accumulation, now a $165 million portfolio, will become a bigger part of our value creation story. The commercial side of our bank also performed on plan in Q2, once again accounting for nearly half of our growing earnings. A strong contributor was conventional commercial, where production was up 16% year over year to $653 million. Looking at key variances, the annual growth target for our commercial finance group is 20-25%, whereas growth over the past year was 14%, and in Q2 the portfolio was flat to Q1. As we expected, funding was strong in Q2, and also as we expected, so too was the level of attrition due to elevated schedule maturities. Because of the growth and strength of our commitment pipeline and the lower levels of attrition expected the last six months of the year, we remain confident in our full-year guidance for commercial finance group portfolio. Specialized finance outpaced guidance growing at 31% year over year compared to 20 to 25% target. This outperformance reflected increased drawdowns of the facilities put in place over recent quarters, as well as success in arranging new facilities. We guided you to expect 7 to 10% growth in our business enterprise solutions business for 2021. We're experiencing strong demand here from entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized business customers and really like how this part of our franchise is evolving. Within our equipment leasing portfolio, growth from Q2 2020 of 24% compares to a full-year target of 5 to 8%. The drivers are transportation and logistics sectors of the economy, which will remain resilient throughout the pandemic and represent the lion's share of our equipment leasing activity. Stepping back, it's been two and a half years since we acquired Bennington, and the business is evolving exactly to plan with multiple back-to-back months of record success. Each month that goes by gives us greater confidence in the future growth and success of this business, and we couldn't be prouder of the efforts of the Bennington team. Their execution is fitting into a broader equitable family, the need to adapt policies to bank-grade standards while keeping a singular focus on their market opportunity and customers has been quite outstanding. Overall, we are on track to achieve our stated guidance, 8 to 12% growth in the bank's total loan book for the year, and much of that will come from wider spread conventional assets. Looking at short loans, our guidance for the year calls for a slight decline in multi-unit, but in fact, the book grew 9% year over year on record quarterly originations and despite high derecognition volumes. We are working on initially with our trust company subsidiary to build capacity in this market and this should start to yield benefits in Q4 of this year and be more, meaning, more meaningful in subsequent years. Prime single-family loans also increased over the prior year thanks to the efforts of our prime team. Growth in equitable-branded prime loans originated directly with brokers is running ahead of our expectations, which is great for the long-term franchise value creation. From time to time, we, we also purchase prime mortgages opportunistically with more favorable economics only released later in the life of the loan or renewal. This quarter, we didn't make any purchases. Our outlook also includes a positive trend in credit metrics with the gradual reopening of the economy. In spite of some modest releases in each of the past two quarters, our credit reserves remain elevated over what we would view as a baseline and relative to the quality of our assets, which has never been higher. We will see 
where our forward-looking guidance, guidance indicators guide us to over the next couple of quarters. Again, the biggest storyline is the rapid development of our digital platform and the fintech-related operations, with the growth of ET Bank being the most tangible outward indicator. We are pleased, though not surprised, that EQ Bank deposits grew 99% over 2020 to a record $6.5 billion of June 30th, against our full year 30 to 50% annual target. This reflects 79% year-over-year growth in our customer base, which now stands at 222,000 people, and demand for EQ Bank term deposits up 267% year-over-year. On slide nine in our presentation, we show that digital transactions increased 101% over Q2 last year, while products per customer grew 44%. These are telltale signs of greater customer engagement, which is as important to us as adding new accounts. Since we launched the EQ US dollar account during Q2, we've already achieved our US dollar deposit target for the entire year, as our customers are really finding tremendous values in features like the ability to fund their US dollar accounts from either an external bank account or from their EQ Bank Savings Plus account. Real-time exchange rates with full fee free transparency, and I might note great rates. Easier, cheaper, and faster money transfers in US dollars worldwide. Please do and try and use the EQ Bank US dollar account. It's a pretty fantastic digital execution. And whatever you think of the stock, it can certainly help you generate more value in the personal finance side of your life. Within our product roadmap, and now that we've launched an upgraded EQ Bank website, we're currently working aggressively on ways to cement Equitable's position as Canada's preeminent digital bank. This will involve many exciting innovations in the future, including in the area of payments. We'll have more to say on this topic next quarter. The evolution of EQ Bank has been driven by our obsession with making it easier for Canadians to reach their financial goals through constant internal innovation and collaboration with the world's leading fintech players. We are holding true to our model and it's paying off for customers and for our bank. Customer lifetime value is now more than 10 times higher than the acquisition costs as customers use more products and increase activity levels. The final development I want to cover is our shareholder proposal to complete a two-for-one stock split. We've completed deep research on this topic and the electronic trading patterns for our common stock. We tend to experience higher trading volumes outside of the TSX, including in dark pools, more odd lot trading, wider bid off spreads, higher volatility within quarters, and possibly lower access for retail investors. Our understanding is that the lower stock price resulting from the split will encourage dealers to apply more capital to holding inventory of shares and should shrink the bid off spread. Our management team firmly believes our stock continues to trade in a material discount to fair valuation, particularly considering our leading digital platform, consistently high ROE versus our price to book, diversification, and for being a high-growth Canadian bank with structural advantages. The stock split is part of an overall program of activities with the goal of closing that discount. This proposal has been approved by Equitable Board of Directors, and we will seek shareholder approval at a special meeting. Details will follow next month. To wrap up, execution this quarter was strong. Our outlook is positive, and we're on track to achieve our ambitious longer-term objectives to create value in the years ahead. Hopefully before too long, we will add a growing dividend to our performance, which is part of our plan to, for long-term shareholder value creation. 
As you know, Canadian banks have been prohibited from raising dividends since the pandemic began, but we're encouraged by improvements in financial markets that may create the stability Aussie is looking for to remove this restriction. Chadwick, over to you. Thank you, Andrew, and good morning, everyone. As Andrew said, last quarter we provided updated guidance on what we intended to do, and as you see in our Q2 results, we're getting it done. Our focus remains on ROE, with the additional guideposts of book value per share, set one, EPS growth, and efficiency. We continue to land each metric within our overall guidance. I want to make clear, as this is a period of important investment in the future of equitable, we are focused on the long-term value creation of Canada's Challenger Bank. Even with the fact that much of Q2 featured pandemic lockdowns for Canadian businesses, we generated growth within these guideposts that we believe are leading amongst Canadian banks. For Q2 specifically, strategic deployment of capital resulted in growth of 9% year-over-year and 3% quarter-over-quarter in assets under management. We're on the right trend line for 2021. This reflects $3.6 billion of originations, up $1 billion from suppressed levels in Q2 last year, and up $900 million since last quarter. Important in these numbers is growth in higher margin conventional assets, which again in total were plus 6% quarter over quarter and plus 9% year over year, combined across personal and commercial, and these reflected 72% of the overall origination in the quarter. Growth is strong and in all the highest return asset classes. To fund this capital deployment, we have continued to generate a tailwind with funding diversification and growth. Total deposits of $18.4 billion were up 18% year-over-year, and within that, our digital bank deposits grew 99%. Our fortress balance sheet, discipline choices in our strategy, and investments translated into revenue growth of 21% year-over-year. The outcome here is diluted EPS of $4.05, a strong showing, although slightly suppressed, by an increase in shares outstanding in the quarter. On a year-over-year basis, the impact here was about a $0.09 reduction in EPS due to higher share count over the past 12 months. Our bank delivered right in our target range at 16.5% ROE in Q2. If set one was back at our target level, quarterly ROE would have been 17.6%, above the top of our guidance. While we did have a PCL reversal in Q2 that I'll speak to shortly, it's important to note pre-provision pre-tax income grew at a significant 17% year-over-year in Q2. In year-to-date, it is up 24% year-over-year. Book value per share crossed $100 for the first time. In his Outlook comment, Andrew touched on growth against guidance. So I'll just say that for slide 13, the markers show we're on track. To fund asset growth, we're continuing to diversify and improve our cost of funds. You see this on, the, on this slide, an updated perspective of what our funding stack looked like three years ago, one year ago, last quarter, and today. The diversification is evident and strategic with positive implications for cost of funds. Now that we've received approval from CMHC to launch our $2 billion covered bond program, a program that will eventually increase in size as the assets of our bank continue to grow, we are set to benefit from additional cost of funds tailwind. We will do our first issuance of up to 300 million euro in Europe. 
Strategically, we will most likely issue in early September to optimize pricing, which we continue to expect to be as much as 50 basis points cheaper than GIC pricing. And as Andrew highlighted, this could translate into as much as $10 million in annual cost of fund savings once the program is fully ramped up. We're well positioned with liquidity of $2.9 billion at the end of Q2 and a liquidity ratio of 9.1% versus Q2 last year of 6.4%. We also completed one additional deposit note offering in Q2 of $150 million due in September 2023. This was done by way of adding to a previous deposit note with a spread of 90 basis points and a reopening yield of 1.384%. This offering was four times oversubscribed and with more new investors coming on board. The bank's deposit note program has more than $1 billion outstanding and we intend to remain regular in this funding market. These factors translated into Q2 NII growth of 19% to 141.8 million and a NIM of 1.81%. NIM expanded quarter over quarter, driven by a shift in business mix to our alternative single-family mortgages, which enjoy wider margins than our insured mortgages. The benefit from an April EQ bank rate reduction and higher levels of prepayment income. Once again, our equipment leasing business had the highest yield at 10.18%, and this business remains strong on a risk-adjusted margin basis including as we grow more on the prime side. On the next slide, I'll note that we are already, that we are early in the journey of diversifying our sources of non-interest income. You can see here that it was 16.9 million versus 16.2 million in Q1 and up 34% year over year. We have initiatives underway to continue to expand non-interest income through the launch of new products, and we'll have more to say on this topic over coming quarters. Q2 includes $2 million from our strategic investments into fintechs, such as portage funds and framework. As a reminder, we make these investments for deeper insight into the fintech space, global innovation, and the leading edge perspectives we gather through partnerships that help us to enrich our customer offerings as Canada's challenger bank. The additional benefit is that we also generate revenue from these investments. Gains on sale were $8.6 million. We do expect these gains to be lower in the second half of the year. We benefited from high volume in Q2, but further normalized margins. Much of this depends on CMHC allocations each quarter. Moving on, non-interest expenses increased 13% quarter over quarter and 26% year over year. I signaled an expense increase on last quarter's call. We managed this higher investment exactly as we said we would. We scaled to the point of landing within our annual efficiency guidepost of 39 to 41% for 2021. This now puts us at a 39.6% efficiency year-to-date, right on target. Our view of expenses is different than some other banks. While some spending is for maintenance, we consider much of it an investment that seeds future growth. As you know, we build a lot of our products and services internally but we also partner with world-class fintechs and technology companies, including WISE, Blanc Labs, Nesto, and Microsoft, which allows us to move efficiently and with high velocity. Our investments will tend to be a bit uneven through the year, particularly on marketing and new products versus when the revenue is realized. I say this as a reminder that this is not a straight-line accounting exercise. We're investing in our three Ps, 
of people, process, and platform. For people, our greatest asset, we increased compensation costs 15% year-to-date and 23% quarter-over-quarter. This reflects growth in FTE, but also more competitive compensation for our teams. When you have the best, they need to be compensated accordingly, and we need to keep pace with this priority. For processes, including across corporate and marketing categories, expenses were up 7% year-to-date and 32% quarter-over-quarter as a result of our Smart Money marketing campaign and a normal annual grant of deferred share units. And in platform, the two components of product cost and other technology were up 43% quarter-over-quarter and 17% quarter-over-quarter respectively. These are critical investments supporting ongoing scaling of the bank, maximizing product launches, and readiness for innovations to come. We expect these investments will be paying off in 2022 and beyond. For outlook on expenses, I will say we did a big scale up in Q2, and I now expect expense growth to return to low single digit quarter over quarter in Q3 and Q4 respectively. On the next slide, you can see our trend line for provision for credit losses. In Q2, we had a $5.3 million reversal at stage one and stage two. The primary driver was continued positive trending in two key macroeconomic variables, overall GDP and HBI, specifically on the residential portfolio. These positive macro variable changes resulted in a $1 billion migration from stage two to stage one. While reversals occurred across all portfolios, proportionally our single family and leasing portfolios benefited to a greater extent from this positive trending than our commercial real estate book. Of note, we did not make any changes to our five scenario weights, and if our base case translates, we would be in a position to release potentially $4.2 million over the coming year. Our overall ACL sits at $56.8 million now, lower by 10% compared to Q1 and 23% quarter over quarter, or 23% year over year, but still at more than 40% from what we would view as potentially normalized level. Modest improvements in early delinquency are aligned with Q1 forecasts of an improved economic environment, and we view these levels as being in line with historic norms. Given the strength in the performance of our commercial book and barring unforeseen economic deterioration, we may look to reduce our commercial ECL in coming quarters. Gross impaired loans were down 20% year-over-year and up 15% in the quarter. The year-over-year improvement reflected the discharge of a $39 million commercial loan in Vancouver without a loss, which we talked about on our Q2 call last year, and a loan in Alberta of $17 million that returned to performing status in Q2 this year. The remaining year-over-year variance reflected a net reduction in single-family mortgages of $16.5 million and impaired equipment leases of $9.7 million. The increase in impaired loans compared to the prior quarter was mainly because of the addition of two commercial loans, $23.1 million in Alberta, which was resolved in early July 2021, and $8.9 million in Manitoba. We do not expect to incur a loss on the Manitoba loan. Moving to capital, this is a consistent and positive story. RWA increased by 5% to $11.5 billion in the quarter a little higher than the growth in SET1 capital, given the timing delay of earnings to capital deployment. The result was a SET1 ratio of 14.4%, down 10 basis points from Q1. 
This represents $100 million, or nearly $6 per share, of excess capital above the midpoint of our target. It's important to note here that when we share this math, the midpoint is simply a conservative target. It's not a regulatory floor. If there are great organic or non-organic growth opportunities, we would be okay to go below the 13 to 14% range for a period of time strategically to create additional value for our stakeholders. We remain well above OSCE buffers and are well positioned for capital treatment changes to come for us in 2023, which will unlock significant additional capital. In closing, this was a strong quarter of growth and new customer relationships across Equitable. Our digital platform and key growth metrics, good success with product launches, and smart investments that will enhance our bank in the future periods. We expect good execution in Q3 and Q4 with no surprises or changes to guidance. This should result in ROE of 15 to 17% for the year, and we're on track now at 16.8% year-to-date. As both Andrew and I have stated, our focus is to set ourselves up for more growth and more diversification in 2022 and beyond. With that, I'll ask the operator to open the line to your questions. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And if you would like to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have any questions. And your first question will be from Manny Groman at Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hi, good morning. Uh, just a first question on um, the impact of uh, the changes to the stress test on, on mortgage originations. Do you think it had any impact uh, in anticipation of the change uh, in Q2, and I know it's early days in Q3, but are you seeing any any impact uh, in Q3 from that change? Certainly, these are hard things to actually. So, thanks, many for that question. Uh, these are hard things to actually kind of analytically assess. You know, based on our conversations with our broker partners, you know, some analytics we've done around on the relatively small impact this would have on the uh, on on any of our uh, book. Uh, you know, we don't really believe so. We we didn't see that. Of course, we were already dealing with fairly active housing markets when those changes went in, but uh, it certainly feels like that was a bit of a non-event from the perspective of the housing market itself and mortgage demand. And then maybe just a, a broader question. Again, early days in, in Q3, but um, we've seen the reopening of uh, economies uh, across the country, especially uh, in Ontario and Toronto. Are you seeing any changes in behavior, both uh, on the deposit side or on the loan demand side, related to the broader reopenings? Not, not yet. I, I think, you know, as you've probably seen in the press, you know, the, the actual transactions in the resale housing market have uh, normalized, let's say, to say softened is not, not true, that the market's still really, really active compared to where it was in March or April. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised, as I sort of made a 
comment in my notes, you know, I think there might be a bit of a reset going on here. So as people figure out what the new future of work and where they're expected to be changes over the next few months, there might be a bit of a, bit of a lag, you know, may, may create a little bit of sort of people pausing to think about that before they then make the next decision. You know, certainly all, all the indications are the demand now for downtown condos, at least in the rental market, is, is, is starting to move up in quite a dramatic way. So that um, potential reversion to preference for living in the major urban centers seems to me that we're in the you know the earlier stage of that of that reassertion of that preference um, but but as with everything in forecast you know you, you need to be careful and, and cautious about that kind of viewpoint but it does make sense when you think about the broader context of of uh, of a reopening economy and then economic patterns going to more traditional in a more traditional direction thanks and then maybe just a, a question on expenses uh chadwick you highlighted uh, the increase uh, on the compensation line in particular i'm just wondering if you give us a little bit more detail in terms of uh you know specific areas where uh you are, where you are hiring new people and then also you talked about keeping pace on the compensation side are there specific areas as well where that uh, was identified as 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 an issue or or just an, a need to increase or is it more broad-based yeah good morning many uh thanks for the question we're the, the hiring is is there's lots in, on the technology side so lots of technology and innovation that applies to both adding ft but also ensuring our compensation is competitive and as, as we've seen across canada i think a lot of uh, companies are becoming more and more competitive for technology talent we do view ourselves as one of the greatest places to work in the country and we want to compensate accordingly to ensure we're attracting that talent uh, and otherwise, we're hiring in the right places to generate revenue. So certainly hiring more um, in service in service teams uh, and sales teams to help promote that growth. So across the personal and commercial bank, including uh, adding relationship managers. So it's all I'd say it's roles that are generating uh, revenue or efficiency uh, or further innovation for the bank are certainly a top priority. Uh, than making sure our infrastructure can keep up with that. And then just a related front, just how do you think about operating leverage internally and are, are there I know you don't publish the targets, but what kind of guidepost you have in terms of operating leverage? How important, how important is it to kind of keep a certain level of operate, positive operating leverage? Maybe we can answer that in two parts. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll provide some comments to Chadwick and kind of finish. I mean, first, certainly Chadwick, coming from you know as a senior executive, one of the major Canadian banks, thinks about it in a way that's not. As, as traditional as we have internally, and I think it's, it's, it's really added value as he brings that thinking to bear. You know, what I would say is that we are, our true north is ROE, and I would say that operating leverage is uh, an important signpost to how we drive to ROE. So clearly, you know, there's, there's a linkage when you actually sort of work through the math on how you drive ROE. Uh, but when we think about some of the businesses we're building, I'd highlight reverse mortgages as a as a truly optimistic, uh, an area that I think will be really important to shareholders over the years ahead. You know, our efficiency ratio would be in the 90% level. Uh, having said that, you know, I run the NP when we run the NPV and the future ROEs that spin will spin out of that business, it's it's very good. So, so that efficiency ratio is effectively made up of an amalgam of the various businesses we have. And, and frankly, if we if we dove down in some of it, some of our more mature businesses, you'd see some really extraordinarily great efficiency ratios. Sorry, maybe I've already chewed a few comments there, Chadwick. I know no, no, you, you do think about it, though. I, I know. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's a little less traditional to think about it here, and it's to our points on the amount of investment we're making and the lumpiness of some of the investments. So, uh, Andrew answered it precisely. Uh, we're, our, our number one money is the ROE and, and efficiency secondary to that. So, operating leverage, uh, I think, as, as we saw, yes, in this quarter specifically, it was negative. Obviously, in the last quarter, it was dramatically positive. Uh, so, our, our expectation is that it's going to average out flat to positive. Some other banks may need to uh, make sure that's positive, given they're trying to get their efficiency and productivity ratios uh, to improve, right? But we're already by far best in class globally at a 39 to 41% level and with this consistent ROE. So that's why operating leverage, we're more accepting of it as we invest uh, to, to be a little bit more volatile, but, but average out within those guideposts, if that makes sense. Yeah, if I could just sort of follow up on that a little bit, just to, you know, uh, I mean, a classic example, an easy example is uh, around acquisition uh, new customers for EQ Bank, which obviously drive huge value. You know, we, we think our customer lifetime value is, is around $800 to $1,000 per, per account. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, and, and, you know, roughly speaking, our cost of acquisition is less than a tenth of that. But, but that cost of acquisition is, is expense, expensed in the period while that customer lifetime value is, is, uh, is realized over you know, a number of years ahead. So you can see that the accounting doesn't follow the economic value creation and and, and doesn't help with uh, efficiency ratio in the short term. Thank you very much. That's it for me. Thank you, Manny. Thank you. Next question is from Etienne Ricard at BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning. Morning, Etienne. So you just raised a, a very interesting point on the net present value of the new customer at, at EQ Bank, and you know, being the with the cost of acquisition being a tenth of that. Um, could you remind us how that cost of acquisition would have evolved in recent years, and and is uh, is a tenth of that uh, the marginal cost? Is that is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, it's really we're really thinking about the the marginal cost associated with say offering bounty for referrals from other customers. Um, advertising cost in the period that then you know, so, so internet search that then drives customer acquisition. You know, I would say it can be volatile period to period, even that cost of customer acquisition. So, you know, again, um, these numbers sort of move around a little more than I would like to, but we certainly have that kind of fintech view of the world of what is our cost of customer acquisition, and and we're really focused on you know what is what is the cost of acquisition through the various channels that are open to us. And trying to drive that down with, with not traditional, but very much using A/B testing about how customers respond, trying to improve conversion ratios from people that come through the top of the funnel. Uh, you know, constantly looking at how many people we've got in the top of the funnel and how, how many of those are then leading through to kind of landing and actually opening an account. And our, our teams have got a lot better at this over the last uh, couple of years, I'd say. And we see to that point too, actually, we see expansion potential on the customer lifetime value side as we continue to expand more products. Right, so that, that 10x is a good average point, and maybe a lot of people we see we do see uh, expansion potential. Some of it was in the pipeline. Okay, great. And there was um, quite an impressive increase in the dollar value of term deposits at uh, at EQ Bank this past quarter. Could you could you comment on that success and uh, the percentage of deposits at at EQ Bank you would expect to to have a term? Going forward, yeah, I think you might see this as a bit of a high watermark for the short, in the shorter term. 
what we actually do is when, when we drop rates in the Savings Plus account, we do try to, to the extent that we've got some very rate-sensitive customers, or, we, or do we, to the extent we have rate-sensitive customers, we offer a, um, you know, a good offer to move into a term product that, that maintains that rate, roughly speaking. So we found that that's been a good strategy to kind of blunt the impact of any rate drops. So um, that's why you saw people moving into the term product. Uh, we also then see them though, as those term products mature, coming back and, and being more comfortable leaving the money in the Savings Plus account. So it's, it's been a it's, it's been a good strategy for us. Um, and then of course the, you know, the other part is it, is it encourages trial of how easy it is to buy a GIC in our platform. And, you know, for those of you new to the story, I absolutely stand by the claim this is the easiest way to buy a great rate GIC in the country. It's a fantastic sort of three-click type of activity. So, um, you know, we do think we can become a go-to place to, to buy term deposits um, through, through, uh, through this activity. Great. Thank you for your comments. Thank you, Richard. Next question is from Stephen Boland at Raymond James. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, all. Uh, Andrew, in your, I guess, maybe these are prepared comments or, or maybe the written comments, sorry, you, you talk about risk tolerance getting back to pre-COVID levels. Is that consistent across all the lending uh, verticals that you're in, or is there some that are, are lagging in terms of your, your risk tolerance? What about lagging? I think there's some stru structural changes, Steve, that we, that we were already aware of before COVID came. So, you know, we, we have, a, as you probably noted, very low exposure to uh, retail shopping plazas, for example. You know, that's kind of driven by the Amazon effect. So you see, see the impact of the pandemic on the, on the economy is going to create some permanent shifts in, in say, purchasing patterns. You know, there's going to be more on, it, it's accelerated the purchase of online product and made B-malls much less, much less competitive. Now, we, we'd already identified this five or six years ago. So, uh, there's nothing new just we'd already been moving away from that asset category, but I think clearly today we'd be extremely leery about lending on any kind of any of that kind of retail asset. Uh, so um, in general, I, I think it's fair to say, Ron, and if you can, there may be areas where we're still a little concerned, but I think in general, you know, our feeling is pretty positive uh, about certainly the major, where we lend a major Canadian or major asset classes for sure. Yeah, I would absolutely second that. I, you know, just summarize it by saying our, our risk appetite is back in our, in our core lending areas to where it was pre-pandemic, and some of the product types are a little bit more niche in certain lending classes and leasing. Uh, you know, given the state of the market, you know, we remain very cautious with respect to food and beverage equipment. But in those core asset classes that Andrew referred to, uh, yeah, we've, we've returned to our previous appetite levels. Yeah, so yeah, again, yeah, Bennington, as I mentioned, it, it's seen good growth, but it's seen it almost all in transportation equipment to Ron's point, which is really holding up well. In fact, in fact, the challenge within that business right now is, is you, you can't buy transportation assets or there's a shortage of them, so it's challenging for our customers to get hold of the equipment. Okay, and the second question is just on the multi-unit insured, uh, you know, your outlook was a, a slight decline. I think you blamed that on, you know, or not blamed it, but certainly competition was a factor. Um, we've seen growth in that. Has, has something changed in that segment, or you're, you were just kind of, uh, you know, you won the right business at the right time? Uh, well, for Q3 in particular, we've got a little bit of a we we, we had a, uh, a couple of large loans that, that didn't close that would have, because of the way the allocation works, would have given us even more allocation. So that that was just a, a you know. A, a, Operational issue that those loans will close and that will, will go through in Q4. So it's just a little bit of a timing issue. 
But we are structurally changing this. So I mentioned that we're using the trust company and setting up a, to give us more capacity. So we're using what's called the aggregate. Uh, so we're setting up an aggregator within our trust company. We have set up an aggregator within our trust company. So what that will allow us to do over the longer term is actually uh, securitize greater volumes of multifamily mortgages originated from and from people that we haven't traditionally worked with uh, a potentially wider spread than we have had done historically. And I think you'll really start to see that. You'll, you'll see it start to drive profits in Q4 and then, and then into next year. Okay. And I'll sneak one more in. Uh, just on AIRB, uh, you mentioned maybe a possible conversion early 2023. Maybe just give us the, you know, the next steps because, uh, you, uh, you know, from what we've seen with Canadian Western Bank, they've had to run a parallel kind of book for a period of time. Is, is that the next steps uh, for you in, in this process? Ron is, is on top of all that detail, so I'll let him answer that. Right. right. So our, our, the commentary there has, wouldn't change quarter over quarter. Our, our next steps remain uh, to, to file our application with OSPI in probably late Q1, uh, early Q2, 2022. And then the, the guidance that you've given beyond there into 2023 really just follows the regulatory prescriptive pattern where you run parallel for a year uh, while OSPI reviews your application and comes back with feedback. So um, as we've noted in the past, um, we don't control OSPI. We, we, we suspect and we feel we're going to put in a, a very strong package and a very strong application, um, um, and we'll await their feedback. And that's that's really where the uh, the timelines are set from. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next question will be from Sihan Tunke at Stifo. Please go ahead. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Um, just to start off on PC Bank, obviously, really um, – solid growth and, and your customer base. But could we get, um, so just on the, the product launches that you've made recently and, and kind of what you have in the, the pipeline, first question, Andrew, could we get a little bit of an update on the uptake for mortgage marketplace? What's the consumer reaction been um, relative to your expectations? Um, understanding that it's still pretty early days for that product, but um, could we get uh, just uh, an update on, on how that rollout has gone so far? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great question. It's an interesting area. Um, you know, I think we've seen a fair number of applications. Um, you know, what we, we're seeing, though, low conversion rates, I would say. Um, this may be a learning, ex learning exercise on our part on how to improve those conversion rates. Uh, but not, not that far from my expectations, frankly. I think we expected this to be a trial and learn, offer another product to our customer, you know, create the brand franchise value through doing that and, um, and, and try, to, try to move up that conversion ratio. Uh, frankly, when you talk to all the banks, um, the conversion ratios of uh, e-mortgage origination platforms are still very low right across the, the ecosystem. And then we certainly... You know, want to make sure that if consumer preference starts to change, where you see more of that, you know, that we will be working in partnership with our brokers to to uh, to, to be a beneficiary of that sort of shift. But I would say, you know, still modest conversion at this point, but, but quite a lot of interest and activity on the part of our part of our um, customer base. And I think if you go uh, again, you know, I always encourage people to look at the EQ Bank platform to really see what we're executing there, but it's, it's really quite a beautiful execution in my mind in, in that in that uh, mortgage origination. Uh, some really sort of elegant, relatively straightforward questions that are asked. You get from, you know, thinking about a mortgage to to where, you know, what sort of offers might be available very quickly and easily. So this is this is definitely um, 
a way a way forward for for our for our institution for sure. Appreciate that. Um, and just staying in the theme of, of EQ Bank's product shelf, um, I think both uh, Andrew, you, and Chadwick alluded to you know future product launches. Can you give us a sense of what? So a couple things. Can you give us a sense of what verticals you're targeting in terms of additional value add products to add to the ecosystem? Um, and also, not only just what the verticals are, but are you looking at it from a build versus acquire versus um, partnership distribution type uh, platform? How do you uh, think about bolting those um, new products onto the ecosystem? I mean, as we've spoken about you know, many times before, we, we're very open to partnerships, and so um, and we are working on, on partnerships. I would say the next bigger product launch, I kind of alluded to, to my, my comments, it would be around payments and, and how we're going to be bringing payment solutions to the EQ Bank customer. You know, that's a, that's a next year story in terms of actual launch, but I think we'll be able to tell you a lot more in Q3 about what it means to you as an investor. Um, I would point to the success we've had that with that U.S. dollar account. It, it's, it's just been unbelievable to me how many people have picked it up so quickly. We had customers, even when we had launched in kind of beta and quiet, we had lots of customers flooding in. Um, you know, the ability to send U.S. dollars to the U.S. on the wise rails so quickly and so cheaply is, is a complete innovation in Canadian banking. And for any of you that have got friends that are snowbirds that need U.S. dollars down in the United States, need to hold U.S. dollars here, or you've got U.S. dollars sitting in your discount brokerage accounts that need a little bit of interest, you've got to look at this platform. This is, this is groundbreaking uh, banking for sure. So, uh, you know, we're seeing that uptake. I mean, fortunately, customers are recognizing that. I think what you might see over the next six months, uh, I'm hoping over the next six months, what we'll do is a, is a much better job around really... Um, Demonstrating all that, all, all facets of the value of the platform to customers and potential customers, you know, rather than the stream of product innovations. I think we've been a bit rapid on delivering new product innovations and not enough uh, energy yet in kind of, you know, continuing to tweak those innovations and try and make sure that our customers really understand the value and, and utilize the full benefit of the platform. So, I think you'll hopefully see some, some innovative, interesting things on the marketing side. Uh, call it marketing, call it kind of project education, so that so that uh, we're really bringing some of this vision we have of, of innovating Canadian banking into life. The, the, the platform is really fantastic, and actually, it's one of the things we'll definitely talk about in the um, in our um, investor meeting in the early part of next year. But you know, some of the ethnography we're seeing and some of the ways that come, some of our customers are thinking about using EQ Bank is, is, is tremendous, uh, really insightful. You know, we're learning so much from our customers at this point, uh, and so, so it's really good. Yeah, the only thing I'd add, um, Gian, uh, for the question, uh, to Andrew's point, there's things as, as we deepen and expand the service capabilities. It's you know, launching integrated e-transfer experience, uh, automated chat support for to enhance the onboarding experience. There's a lot of things to deepen um, the traction and experience for existing customers. Uh, and then we'll we'll share more of the additional verticals to your point. And I don't know where you're going with that. We'll share more as, as, as we're more ready to, to discuss that over coming quarters. There's certainly lots in the pipeline. Okay, good to hear. Appreciate the, the color there. Um, and just one more follow-up from me, shifting to the um, the loan book um, in the alternative single-family business, um, so up about 6% year over year. Um, so how do you think that, what are the steps involved to getting that growth number up to your, to your full year 
guidance of the of the 12 to 15 percent? Is it just a function of? I know you're going through the exercise of, of revising your adjudication um, standards to better reflect current market conditions. Is it just that, or is there any other um, levers that um, you're still looking to pull to get that uh, growth number up to the employer guidance levels? I think I think uh, you know if you look at that year over year growth, it's actually you know, it doesn't tell you the more recent story. What you've got to look at, the, I think, is the growth in that portfolio over each of the last couple of quarters, and you'll see that the the growth is very much tracking to our full-year guidance already. So um, we, we really made the adjustments in November last year uh, that we need to do to be more proactive in the market, and, and it's it's just unfolding as we speak. But, but when you quote that year-over-year year figure, don't forget that we were – we were very hunkered down from a credit perspective through last summer, very concerned about the potential impact of the of the pandemic on the economy and, and therefore the housing market and, and were deliberately seeding share through last year. And now we have a feeling that, that our credit box works in the current environment and we're, we, we, we're kind of re rebuild that franchise. You know, we believe based on the data we've seen more recently uh, that, that we're, we're the, again, reasserted ourselves as the leading originator of, of alternative mortgages in the country. Great. That's it for me. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jim. Once again, as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And next question will be from Jeff Fenwick at Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Um, I think most of my questions have been answered, but I just wanted to circle back to the EQ Bank deposits. It's obviously been a source of a lot of growth for you over the last year and, and an interesting shift in the mix in the quarter. I guess the one question is the uh, the decline in the demand deposits is pretty pretty substantial sequentially, and I'm just wondering how much of that was intentional, um, was, was it due to some competition or rate changes on your end, and and was that that rate of change sort of in line with your expectations? Well, again, I think that's that's the switch to the term deposits as, as we drop rates, people moving from demand to term, uh, so again shows how engaged people are with our platform. Positive. Obviously, the net balances overall continue to grow very strongly. So, uh, uh, you know, and, and frankly, to the extent we've got a bit, bit more term in that book, uh, clearly, it, you know, it reduces liquidity risk and, and so on. Um, so, you know, we're comfortable with it. But you, you, you should expect to see that fairly. It could, it could move quarter to quarter, certainly year to year, as, as uh, depending on you know, the relative rates in the term markets vis-a-vis -vis the demand demand rates. So. People tend to look at that face rate, and if the if the if the rate on a term product is higher than the the day-to-day -day rate on the savings plus account, people will, they will move into term. But that depends on the shape of the yield curve and other variables. So this was this was more of a uh, migration of customer accounts to a new product rather than than losing some existing uh, customers and gaining new ones. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, we've we've been gaining yeah. customers very consistently. You know, we we gain sort of two to two hundred fifty customers a day quite consistently. Would expect that to be a little bit softer in the summer months. You know, people don't sit on the beach and try to try to open up a bank account, that kind of thing. Uh, quite rightly, um, but but nonetheless, we're still seeing really good activity on our platforms. Right, and then maybe just one one uh, smaller area here, but 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 meaningful. The uh, the gains on the strategic investments. Can you just uh, give us a bit of description around what what that uh, how that comes in? Is that a, a fair value gain you're recording? Is it a share of income or just trying to understand that that line and, and the, the volatility we should expect from it. Yeah, it's, um, good morning, Jeff. Yeah, it's more um, 
timing of fair value gains on the investments within the fintech portfolios. So, for example, uh, in the past in the past quarter, uh, a key to that was Portage, and, and again, that was in those funds as it relates to Diagram going public. Uh, those will won't be consistent quarter over quarter. It depends on the investments we're making. Um, again, the first priority is the learning and the partnership opportunities that we're getting from the fintech investments, just like we've done with 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 Nesto. Um, and Blanc Pops and more. So there's the first priority is that to bring it into a product line, and the secondary benefit is these revenue gains. Um, I, we do expect more this year, but I wouldn't give a consistent trend line yet on it. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, that's all I had. Thank you. Next question will be from James Join at National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Good morning. Um, Good morning. I wanted to just follow up on the uh, on the expense. Uh, in the quarter and then the, the outlook. Um, well, sounds like it's just going to increase in the low single digits for the rest of this year. I'm more curious about how it looks next year. Is this uh, is this a new run rate level that we should be thinking about or, or are there higher investments in 2021 that will roll off in, in 22? I think, I think Chavik can speak to the rest of this year. You know, we don't have our budgets put together for the next year yet. Um, and so I think that's that's a story we'll have to tell in more detail as we get towards the end of the year and we, we reset our guidance. What, what I can tell you is that we have a very rigorous approach to the net present value of any expenses we make. And so, you know, if, if we do come up with our guidance that expenses are going to increase, increase next year, it'll be based on some real, some really detailed rigor on why that why that makes sense to shareholders and why that's a, a good capital allocation decision for management. Yeah, and I wouldn't change, uh, Jim. I'd still keep. From a model perspective, 15 to 70% ROE, uh, similar range of guideposts for efficiency. I, I would say stick to the medium-term guidance, right, and, and work back from that. Uh, to Andrew's point, though, even as we scale up investments, we're still going to be thoughtful about hitting our North Star priority number one. And there may still be lumpiness as we make some of these investments. Uh, but this was an important scale up that we made in Q2 for, for future growth momentum, for sure, and, and ensuring those expenses match up with revenue, which we certainly expect to see some of that in 2022 and beyond. Okay, great. Fair enough. Um, the, uh, the other question uh, around the gain on sale of securitized mortgages um, elevated this quarter, uh, elevated for the last few quarters, actually, um, after some commentary last quarter that might step down. Um, you know, just curious how you're thinking about that uh, as a long-term revenue driver, uh, especially in a higher expense uh, um, outlook here over the next few quarters. Is, is that something we should expect to see at these levels going forward and like and or is that just a function of really solid prime insured mortgage origination over the last uh, several several months i mean the, the vast majority is, it's, it's, not, it's really not much to do with prime it's all to do with the multifamily cmhc um and, and i do think we found a new path to higher uh higher earnings from this portfolio than you might have seen you know two or three years ago I think, as I mentioned earlier, that we might see, see a little bit of lumpiness in Q3, you know, maybe, maybe a bit softer in Q3, perhaps, and, and stronger again in Q4. Uh, but as we get the, um, the trust company set up as an aggregator for that business, uh, there, there's definitely uh, more economic value to be gained. And again, because of the, some of the complexities of the accounting, you know, sometimes we recognize a gain up front if it's what's called a 966 non-prepayable pool. Uh, or if it's a 965 prepayable pool, we recognize that over the life of the loan. Uh, so so the, the 
the, the accounting treatment for what's broadly a similar activity can, can, can result in sort of swings in the quarters too. Okay, great. And then uh, last one, just want to uh, just get a little bit more color around the, uh, the average products per customer on the EQ Bank platform. Uh, up 44%. Um, how, how is that defined? Is that like a, is that a client holding a savings account and, and, and holding that money in that account or just using it temporarily or maybe using the transfer service uh, one time? Does that count as a product per customer? Just want to get a sense as to where these, uh, you know, I guess, you know, how permanent is that increase and, uh, and what you're seeing uh, on that front from various products. Again, Chadwick could probably offer more color on the math. You know, would, you know, clearly it, it means things like somebody that just had a non-registered account opening up a registered account, somebody that had a account in an individual name opening a joint account as well. Uh, so these should be permanent changes to to that stickiness. Yeah, exactly. It's and we're 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 transparent and true to it, right? So it's really having greater than one non-zero balance product for more than one transaction in the last 30 days, excluding interest. So these are real uh, shifts. In activity at Tanger's point. Uh, and then same with transactions, right? It's all the, the total number of transactions uh, during the period, uh, but again, all movement of funds outside uh, of interest earned. And then we, 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 have, we, we track obviously our accounts as well as the customer growth. We have all those stats as well, but important is, is sharing the deepening as well as we, we continue to share the, uh, the customer growth. Yeah, that's great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Next question will be from Graham Riding at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Graham, if you're asking a question, you might be on mute. Um, Actually, it appears that Mr. Riding's line has disconnected. So okay. at this time, we have no further questions. So, Mr. Moore, please proceed. Uh, thanks, Sylvie. Um, just before we, uh, we let you go, I'm very pleased with the work we've done to get the handle of the bank's scope three greenhouse gas emissions, which include financed emissions. Of note, no other Canadian bank has publicly released their scope three emissions yet. But recent financial, the financial services world is moving in that direction, as demonstrated by Van City's recent leading edge disclosures. We followed a rigorous process here using methodologies from the GHG protocol and the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials, with support from our external partner, WSP Canada. With this legwork behind us, we will set and disclose targets and progress on the bank's climate risk and diversity initiatives in the new Environmental, Social and Governance Annual Report next year. This is all part of this is all part of doing our part for the betterment of society as Canada's challenger bank. Speaking of next year, we plan to host an in-person institutional investor day in early 2022. Since we hosted our last investor day, we've significantly strengthened our management team and we're excited to profile our people, processes and platforms with the digital transformation that is powering our future. A save the date notice will be sent later this fall. In the meantime, if you'd like to engage on any of the topics, uh, including ESG that I just discussed, our door is always open. Thank you for your time and attention. Enjoy the rest of the summer and have a great day. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. At this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.